It's a distinct joy to be here and Caleb and Lily are very dear friends. So when they asked if I could come and address you, I, I cannot say no. And then coming here, I'm so glad I did because there's such a wonderful and delightful body of Christ gathered here. I want to share with you a very simple message. It's a very familiar story of Mary and Martha. You know the story. But I remember Charles Spurgeon was the one who says, we, we got to read the scriptures and engage the scriptures with sanctified imagination. In other words, we must know what to look for. The story was told of uh, an Air Force pilot by the name of Tom. He graduated top in his top, uh, top Gun class and he was so proud that uh, he was the first. He told his girlfriend, you must come to the airfield and watch me fly. So he got to the airfield, jumped into his F-16 aircraft and took off to the sky in a vertical climb and then turned the aircraft and plummeted towards the earth and just before it crashed, he picked it up again and, and then did all the triple somersaults and all the rows and fantastic aerobatic acrobatics. It was all there and then came down for a perfect landing and he was walking to his girlfriend very proudly and his girlfriend ran to him, hugged him, consoled him and said, it's alright Tom, it's alright, the next time you will be able to fly straight. <laughs> she didn't know what to be looking for. When we engage the scriptures, we must know what to be looking for. This story in Luke 10 is a very familiar passage and yet one of the most misunderstood. Look at Luke chapter 10 again and you know the story. There's two sisters and, and the contrast between Mary and Martha has been taught in Sunday school, preached over the pulpit. It's something we are very familiar with. But here's the thing. Before we get to the contrast, let's first pay attention to the similarities. Here were two very similar sisters. They were two similar sisters who have a similar love for Jesus. It's not a story of one sister who loved Jesus and the other was lukewarm to him. No, both sisters loved Jesus. Both were trained in Jewish hospitality. In other words, both were very good cooks. They could cook up a storm at a very young age when they were small girls. So it's not a story of one who knew how to cook, busy in the kitchen, Martha and Mary who didn't know how to cook, therefore she was in the living room with Jesus. That's not the story. And you have two Jewish sisters who love Jesus, who are trained in hospitality, who both welcome Jesus into their home. But as the story unfolds, we find Martha busy in the kitchen. She turned to one of the servant girls and asked, Where's my sister Mary? Oh, she's in the living room with Jesus. Ah, don't bother her. There's so many things to do here. You, you get the vegetables here. And she was very busy with that. But a few minutes went by and, and the sister Mary still wasn't anywhere to be found. And Martha turned to the, the servant girl again and asked, Where's Mary? Still in the living room? Yes. She couldn't take it any longer. She stormed out of the kitchen. Now, if you have those old video players where you or DVD players when you can press the pause button, okay? You see Martha storming out of the kitchen and you press pause. And then you ask the question, what did Martha want when she was storming out of the kitchen? She wanted Mary to help her in the kitchen, right? No. If she really wanted Mary to help her in the kitchen, 
This will be the play when you press play. She will come out of the kitchen, go by the side of the wall, sit in, next, to, uh, in, next to her sister Mary, right in front, and nudge her, whisper to her, Hey sis, I need you in the kitchen now. And I can imagine Mary going, Oh, so sorry, I forgot. And the two sisters quietly got up, went by the side of the wall, went to the kitchen, and they lived happily ever after. But that's not the story. She stormed out of the kitchen, went right in front of Jesus, didn't even address her sister, she addressed Jesus. And when you, you see the text, when she addressed Jesus, she was actually chiding Jesus. Lord, do you not care? You, you can tell how close their relationship was. Jesus was a friend of the family. So she went to Jesus, stopped Jesus in his teaching. Everybody was helped with bated breath in anticipation of what she would say. Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do all the work in the kitchen? Tell her to come and help me. You are a good rabbi. Teach her good manners. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said one of the profoundest things in the scriptures that has enormous implication for discipleship today. Verse 41. Let's read the text from verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus said, and this is very important, only one thing is necessary. Listen, if Jesus said only one thing is necessary, then we must pay attention to what this one thing is. But here's the point. When you study the text, he doesn't tell us what the one thing is. You read it carefully, it's not there. One thing is necessary. Then he didn't tell us what the one thing is. He only said, Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. So now it's up to us to guess what the good part is. That is the one thing that Jesus said is necessary. So we watch what Mary did. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus in the living room. So we say, aha, the one thing that is necessary, the good part that Mary did, was sitting at the feet of Jesus in the living room and therefore that's the one thing we should do. The contrast then is between the living room and the kitchen, between busy cooking in the kitchen and sitting at the feet of Jesus in the living room. And therefore, this conventional understanding has been popularized uh, in many places that the one thing we should do is to sit at the feet of Jesus and forget the kitchen. Now, here's my question. If that is the one thing, then how is dinner to be prepared? Who cooks? In other words, it compromises the entire theology of work. That there is a dignity of work. There is a purpose in work. I do not think that the contrast is between the kitchen and the living room. I believe Jesus was pointing to something else. Now here's the question then, but why didn't he tell us? The answer is, to the Jewish mind, they understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. To the non-Jewish, uh, the Western mind, we fail to understand 
that there is a contrast within the context that is a clue to unlock the one thing, the meaning of the one thing. Here's the clue. The Jewish rhetoric of teaching uses the power of contrast. This rhetoric of contrast is set within the immediate context. Now, if, if some early commentators said the one thing is the one dish, one dish is necessary, don't need many dishes. I'm Chinese. If only one dish is necessary, then it must be fried rice. <laughs> but we know it's not the one dish necessary. Within the immediate context, there is a contrast which is the key to unlock the understanding of what Jesus means by the one thing. The contrast is this. Within the context, verse 41, verse 42, one thing that is necessary is contrasted to the many things. If we can understand what the many things refer to, the one thing makes perfect sense. So we look at verse 41, the immediate context. And to the Jewish mind, in the rhetoric of contrast, this is very clear. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The many things refer to the anxiety, being distracted, being troubled, being anxious, being, uh, having a heart that's churning within. That's the many things. One thing is necessary. If the many things refer to the anxiety and the trouble of the heart, the churning within, then the one thing is a heart that is quiet, rested. In other words, Jesus wasn't talking about the contrast between the living room and the kitchen. He was talking about the inner chambers of the quiet heart. Put it in modern terms, Jesus is simply saying, Oh, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Chill, relax. Only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part. That quiet disposition within. Now here's my point. There are many of us working for Jesus and we are like Martha churning within, anxious and bothered about many things. But there are others who are in church, uh, in a prayer meeting, uh, in, in, in listening at the feet of Jesus, and yet, inside the heart, it is still distracted, it is still troubled, it is still bothered about many things. God is calling our hearts to be united, to fear His name, that we might be rested in Him. Because the contrast is not between the kitchen and the living room. Both are needed, working for Jesus and sitting at the feet of Jesus, both are needed. The point is, whether you work for Jesus or you are sitting at the feet of Jesus, the inner chambers of the heart must be quiet and rested before Him. Now, if this makes sense, even if you twist the scenario, it will still make sense because the principle doesn't change. Let me explain what I mean by twisting the scenario. Imagine, imagine that Martha is happily in the kitchen. Those of you who read the book by Brother Lawrence, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, uh, he's a monk in the kitchen and as he was cooking, he was worshipping God, his heart was quiet within him. So imagine Martha was like that. 
serving in the kitchen, but loving and worshipping God in her service. And then imagine Mary was in the living room, but her heart was churning inside. Where's my sister? She should be here. This is, this is fantastic teaching from the Master. Where is she? And imagine Mary could not take it any longer, stop Jesus in his teaching and say, Lord, don't you care that my, my sister is in the kitchen and missing out all this fantastic teaching? Then tell her to come and be like me at the feet of Jesus. What would Jesus say? The same thing. Mary, Mary, you are bothered and distracted over so many things, but one thing is necessary, and Martha has chosen the good part, and it shall not be taken away from her. And if that were the case, then all our teaching is don't just sit at the feet of Jesus. Do something. Do something. Go work for Jesus. My point is that it's not either working for Jesus in the kitchen, as it were, or sitting at the feet of Jesus at the living room. Here's the point I want you to grasp in discipleship today. God sees the heart. God sees the heart. And so whether you are a missionary serving in Africa or you are a homemaker at home or you're a student in the, uh, in, the, in the university or in the school or you're a businessman in your company, uh, whatever your vocation is, whatever your calling is, the important thing is God sees your heart. Are we worried and distracted over many things? Because only one thing is necessary, a heart of faith, a heart of rest, a heart that is trusting in God, a heart that is quiet in God, because God is in the center of our hearts. That's what matters to God. You see, my dear brothers and sisters, there are two voices in our Christian pilgrimage. There's the voice of God and there are other voices. And one of these voice, one of these voices will drown out the other. So we must choose, and we must choose wisely which voice to listen to, the voice of God or the other voices. But the wisdom lies not in knowing which voice to choose. Because as Christians, we know we ought to choose the voice of God. It is wise to choose the voice of God. It's no-brainer to choose the voice of God. Wisdom is not about knowing which voice to choose. Wisdom is actually choosing the voice of God. But oh, in our life, there are many voices. The voice of fear, the voice of anxiety, the voice of doubt. All these voices will distract our heart. That is why we need to unite our hearts to fear His name, to unite our hearts to walk in Him. And my question for us today is, which voice are you listening to? Because if you listen to the voice of God, your heart will be quiet within and not like Martha's heart distracted over many things. Oh, my dear people, don't think that Martha's problem is about serving in the kitchen. No, Jesus pointed to something deeper. It is Martha's heart being distracted and troubled and anxious and bothered about many things. Jesus was giving an x-ray vision of the human heart. He wasn't criticizing the work. 
So don't say things like, you know, oh, be careful about being busy. I want to be busy for God. These are the last days. There are times when Jesus on earth was on earth. He was so busy, there was no time to eat. But that was his commitment. That was his passion. The problem is not the busyness. There are seasons of life. The most important thing is, are we missional in our life? Are we intentional in our life? Are we after the Father's will? Is our heart captivated by His voice? And my dear brothers and sisters, you cannot be captivated by the voice of God if you don't know the Word of God. Because the voice of God comes through the Holy Scriptures. God has already spoken in the Word. So here's the simple application for the heart to be quiet before God, trusting God, growing in God, you must get deep in the Word. 60% of pastors don't have a daily quiet time. That's shocking. Now, if 60% of pastors don't have a daily quiet time, on an average American church, 80% of Christians in the pew do not have a daily regular quiet time. That's a fact. Don't play games. Here's my point. What if we come before the Lord and say, Lord, we want to mean business with you. We want a quiet heart of faith rested in you. Whatever we do, whether we are sitting at the feet of Jesus or working for Jesus, so teach us in a daily quiet time to walk with you. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, that's the key to discipleship. The Jews have a blessing. They say, may the dust of the master covers you. What they mean by that is, may you walk so close to the master. The master is walking in front. May you walk so close to him that the dust of the feet of the master covers you because you are close to your master. To be close to the master, we need to get back to the word of God in a daily quiet time. And this is not just for Christian, or just to our pastors or missionaries, it's for all Christians. Some years ago, I was invited to Brazil to speak in a closed door by invitation only meeting. Few people uh, of the senior pastors of the super mega churches of Brazil. The smallest church there was 47,000, the largest, uh, the, the average church was about 100,000. So my friends were asking me, You are a Singaporean pastor going to Latin America? to speak to the senior pastors about discipleship, that's what they asked me to speak on, um, among the super mega churches, what do you tell them? I told them what I told you. You must get back to your quiet time. It doesn't matter if you are a senior pastor of 50,000, 100,000, 148,000, go back to your quiet time. Now here's a very simple application I want to encourage you with. What if we start with just five psalms a day? Just five psalms a day. And how do you start? Uh, if today is the 28th, you start with Psalms 28. And then you add 30, right? Psalms 28, you, you go to Psalms 28, then Psalms 58. And then 30 is 88. So every day, you just do five psalms. From 88 is 128, and then, uh, sorry, 118, and then 148. But the idea is you, you, you get into the Word. Then you use a marker, different colours. Use yellow colour for all the Bible principles God is teaching you. Use the red colour. Red represents for me the blood of Jesus. So all the sins He covered. When God convict me of sins, I put in red. 
green is like green leaves, green trees, growing things. Uh, so, so things that help me grow, I mark in green. And, and then uh, I use orange. Orange, because I can't find gold colour. So orange is like gold, you know, Chinese orange, Mandarin oranges, gold, right? So I use the orange colour for the promises of God. And then I go back to the scriptures and I pull out these precious promises and, and I write them down in my Bible so that I can remember them before God. And, and I want to encourage you to do that. Just put simply, start like this, verse by verse, the, the key verses God is giving to us about our Christian walk, about our Christian life, our discipleship, the Father's word to us. I, I write it down. I, I mark them in colour to remember the promises the sins God convicted me with, that I repent of, that the new things God is teaching me because the Word of God is alive. This is God's love letter to us. You cannot walk in discipleship without the living Word of the living God. I close with one more story. Two months ago, my wife and I were preaching in Russia for the second time. The head bishop of the evangelical churches of Russia invited us to the headquarters in Perm. And there he gathered his regional directors, his regional senior pastors for consultation. And then as we walked in, um, he was in the midst of this meeting with these leaders. And then we introduced each other and he dismissed them and, and he spoke to an interpreter. He said to me, Pastor Chan, I have a vision. I have a vision of planting 8,000 churches in Russia. When I started as a bishop in 1991, he said, I had 61 churches under my charge, but God has given me a vision so that by the year 2010, it was 1,700 churches, 1,700 churches. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 1,700 churches was, was there. And then by the year 2016, it was 3,200 churches. 3,200 churches But I have a vision For planting 8,000 churches But here's the challenge He said We need discipleship And we need a discipleship That is back in the word Back into the inner life The inner heart Of the disciple of Jesus So please come He said every five year, uh, Every year for the next five years To train our top level leaders And you know what I'm going to do in Russia When I train the top level leaders? I will tell them what I'm telling you today. Go back to your quiet time. Because in the Word of God, as God speaks to you daily, either God's Word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Word of God. Have the Word of God deep in your life, deep in your heart, because when the Word of God is alive, you have chosen the good part. When the Word of God is deposited in your life, when the passion of God is within, you have chosen the good part and it shall not be taken away from you. Today in this baptism service, I pray that in, in the baptism you recognize it's not about sitting at the feet of Jesus or working in the kitchen. Both are necessary. It's about the inner chambers of your heart having decided to follow Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, follow Him in the Word of God. Would you bow with me and pray? Eternal God and Heavenly Father, tutor us in Your Word that our faith might be built because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. 
And as our faith is being built, there is a quiet restedness within our souls. So that whether working in the kitchen, working for God, or sitting at the feet of Jesus, our heart is quiet before you, not troubled and anxious and fearful and distracted over many things, because faith has arisen to overcome fear. And this faith is rooted in the Word of God. Teach us this foundation in Christian discipleship. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.